Well, I'm going to talk to you about one of my very favorite Bible stories. We're going to talk about Zacchaeus this morning. And some of you may remember Zacchaeus from children's church or Sunday school when you were little, and you sang this song, Zacchaeus was… Don't let me sing it by myself. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up in us for the… Okay, we got kind of a little confused there. <laughs> I'm glad you did that, though. At least I'm not the only one that makes up words as I go along. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a cute song for kids, but it really kind of misses the, some of the drama of the story. Zacchaeus was a thug. I mean, he was a big-time major thug. He is… Um, He's somebody, the more I read about him, I'm sure, I'm just being honest, and I hope you'll still love me, I probably wouldn't have liked Zacchaeus. You probably wouldn't have liked Zacchaeus. And if we go through the story, I think that you'll understand and you'll see why. In the first service this morning, we had a guest, and um, he was a big, burly kind of guy, and and after the service, he came up and says, I really liked that story this morning. And I thought to myself, I'm really glad you did because he is just a big dude. But I love this story as, as we're going through this series about God friending me because Jesus makes some of the most unlikely friendships with some of the people that you and I would go, well, that's just scandalous. Why would Jesus be a friend to this person? Why would Jesus love this person? As a matter of fact, when you read the story and think about it, and I won't have time to deal with this this morning, but it's important to kind of to understand the crowd that we put ourselves in the crowd's shoes as well because all of us like justice. I mean, we pretty well want people to get what they deserve. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, they deserved it. You know, they deserved it. They got what was coming to them. If you like to watch a cop show or you like to watch a, a war movie, you like to see the villain get what's coming to him. When I was a student in school, you never liked anybody that broke in line. And there were always those people that would try to break in line, and you go, hey, wait a minute, dude. We've been standing here a long time. Go to the back of the line. I was in the airport the other day. We were getting ready to go home for Christmas, and I've learned this etiquette because people will publicly shame you if you try to break in the line at the airport. Have you ever had that experience? You, you just, you didn't know the lines can be so helter-skelter. And so I go, is this the end of the line? And this lady goes, I have no clue. So I asked the next person in line, I go, is this he in the line? He goes, it's confusing. Uh, you know, I wanted to get my, Becky and I in line and my kids in line so we can fly home for Christmas. And so finally, this guy says, I think this is the line right here. So I, I get in line and somebody goes, this is not the end of the line. <laughs> oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, we, we, you, when you were in school, you always looked for your buddy, at least I did. You look for your buddy that was in line. So you walk up and you start talking and his line's moving, you just keep talking and before you know it, you've just kind of blended. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just kind of blend the line and nobody's the wiser, you know? 
And if they were, there's two of you against one of them. So you just, you just, you know, we don't like it. Kids get in fights over breaking in line because they get what's coming to them. Well, the crowd, they couldn't stand Zacchaeus. He was a scandalous man, and they were scandalized by the way Jesus reacted to him. So, out of respect for the word of the Lord, would you stand with me, and let's read this story together this morning. From the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Well, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. The message translation says he scrambled down. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Read the last sentence with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Would you read that again? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I confess to you that there are times, Lord, when I desire justice more than I do mercy. I confess to you that, Lord, there are times when I think I'm better. And I confess to you that, Lord, there are times when I have looked at people and think, thought they deserve what they've got. And I'm so sorry that I haven't represented you well when I should have. I'm so sorry that I haven't represented your love and your grace and your mercy. So, Lord, I stand and confess my sin to you, and I pray for all of us that, God, you will make us bold expressors of the love of God and to see that no one is beyond hope, no one is beyond redemption. Jesus, that you will take great joy and delight in saving to the uttermost, God, in bringing us to yourself. So I ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and help us to catch this word and may it fall upon good ground in our hearts and bear hundredfold fruit. Let us see the day when we are having three and four services on a Sunday morning and two or three services on a Saturday evening because there are so many Zacchaeuses. There are so many women at the well. Lord, there are so many blind Bartimaeuses. There are so many Nathaniels out there to be reached for you. And I pray all of this in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. 
On the back of your bulletin, there's some notes if you want to follow along. I've often wondered and asked myself, how does Zacchaeus find out about Jesus? And this morning, I'm going to use my imagination just a little bit, and you can kind of read between the lines with me if you like, and if you, you know, it's not necessary that you necessarily agree with me and how this, if this is the way it happened, but I've just tried to, to get an idea what would have caused this man Zacchaeus? I mean, last week we looked at Matthew, who had two names, Levi. He was a tax collector, but Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He runs a gang of thugs. Remember, we talked about how taxes were collected and how that people would extort money and just really beat them down. Well, Zacchaeus is is probably in deeper weeds than Matthew was. He is a, he's the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to know. He's, he's a short guy. The, the word there is also the same word that can be used in Greek for dwarf. He's a very short guy, and he wouldn't want to get lost in the crowd because nobody likes Zacchaeus. In those days, it was common for people like Zacchaeus because they were considered treasonous, they were considered traitors. It was common for them to be murdered. So Zacchaeus was running ahead of the crowd because simply he didn't want to get lost in the crowd and get knifed. Zacchaeus was the kind of guy that you would never expect to find at church or expect to go looking for Jesus. And so I've often wondered what happened. And in my mind and in my imagination, I wonder, since Matthew obviously cared about lost people when Jesus saved him, he was a tax collector, he gave what we call a Matthew party, and he invited all of his friends. He says, come have dinner with me. I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to meet the one who changed my life. And you remember last week we looked at how the religious people got very upset with Jesus because he went to Matthew's house, and he was having dinner with all of these sinners and tax collectors, as they called them. And so I have a feeling that Matthew probably had some accountable relationship with with Zacchaeus, and he shared with him how Jesus changed his life. Maybe Zacchaeus wanted to know, Matthew, why have you lost your mind? What are you doing? You're giving up your business. You're giving up your trade. Besides, Matthew, you still owe me a cut because I'm the chief tax collector. I get a cut of everything you you get, and I'm telling you, I don't care, Jesus or no Jesus, you're going to give me my share or I'm going to beat it out of you. That's just the kind of guys they were. Matthew probably shared with him, and then I get the feeling because he's in Jericho. Now, remember, you got to come down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and Jericho is hot. It's a swampy place. Even when I was there years ago, it was a hot, swampy place. It's fly-infested. It's, it's not the place that you and I would choose to live. It's a prosperous place because it's a crossroads of commerce, and it always has been. You remember the story, the walls of Jericho? It was a prosperous place because it sat upon trade routes, and Zacchaeus had established his, his business here. But due to the context, I think this is within reason. Maybe Zacchaeus had went to collect taxes, and he knocked on the door of an untidy home, of a yard that was out of shape and didn't look very well, but he knocked on the door, and this blind man came to the door, and he says, he says I'm here to collect your taxes. You owe the Roman government this much in taxes, and I need it. And the blind man says, Mr. Zach, I am so sorry. I can't pay my taxes. You can see that I'm blind. He says, but if, if you can give me just a few more days, I'll do my best to get the money. My check hasn't come in yet. My, the, the benevolence check hasn't come in. I need just a few more days. And Zacchaeus says to him, listen, friend, if you don't pay your taxes when I come back, you're not going to be blind. You're going to be homeless because I'm going to take your place for the Roman government. 
So he takes his daytimer out. He takes his iPhone out. He looks at it. He goes to the next home because he's got a nice Excel sheet of everybody that owes him money for their taxes. So he knocks on the door of a house, and there's a funeral wreath on, and this mother comes, and there's, her face is stained with tears, and she says to him, Mr. Zach, I'm so sorry. I can't pay my taxes. My little boy just died, and he just passed away, Mr. Zach, and I've got to pay the undertaker to bury my son, and if you could give me just a few more days, and he looks at her and says, ma'am, I'll be back in 30 days, but you better pay those taxes, And he walks away. It's not been a very good day. But God always orchestrates. God always orders our footsteps. You are not an accident, and you're not just evolving and just coasting through this life. God is guiding, and God is directing your footsteps. The Bible says that he directs our footsteps. He orders our footsteps. He has a plan for our lives. Those aren't just trite words. That's how we live. And so, it's just a few days later, maybe 30 days later, Zacchaeus comes. He goes to the home of the blind man, and he's surprised. Somebody's been awfully good to this blind man. The yard's mowed. The the sidewalk is edged. The house is painted. He knocks on the door. And to his surprise, a man opens up the door, and he goes, Mr. Zach, I'm so glad to see you. I've got my tax. He would have never said that to the IRS agent, but he he said, I've got my taxes, and I can pay you. And Zach is stunned. He says, what happened to you? He says, I met Jesus. Jesus Jesus came along and Jesus touched me and and I can see again. And and Zach, here are your taxes. Oh, God is so good. The Messiah has come. And Zach is just kind of taken back. He's stumbling backwards and he goes to his next appointment and he comes up to the house. The funeral wreath is gone. He knocks on the door and the little boy comes to the door and he goes, who are you? And the little boy goes, oh, Mr. Zach, Mama told me you were coming. Just a moment. And Mama comes to the door. There's a big smile on her face, and she says, Mr. Zach, here's the money I owe you for our taxes. My little boy died that day, but Jesus raised him from the dead. He took him by the hand and raised him up, and it so shocked the undertaker that he gave me all my money back, and here now I can pay my taxes. Don't you think that's the way it could have happened? Because the stories of Jesus, the Bible says that the fame of Jesus spread. The stories of Jesus spread. People heard about Jesus and somewhere Zach had heard about him and this wealthy businessman dressed in his three-piece Armani robe, I mean, excuse, Armani suits, he runs with his briefcase and he climbs up a sycamore tree. How many of you know that's not what wealthy business people do? (laughs) That's just not what they do. It's just not cool to do something like that. And so let's look at this story this morning. People see Jesus in our love and friendship. And when I read this story, I see Jesus showing his friendship to people that often surprise us. People don't see Jesus in our rules and regulations. People don't see Jesus in our criticisms and our condemnation. But people see Jesus in our love and our fellowship. And it seems to me, and I think it would appear to you if you read the Bible carefully, it was dinner parties that always got Jesus into trouble. Because it was at dinner parties that Jesus was having dinner or having lunch with people that religious people thought he should never have dinner with. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 7, the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Religious people just can't stand people that are like Jesus. Religious people just can't stand people who show Jesus love. 
Every once in a while, one of my friends or a new friend or somebody that I strike up a conversation with, it's happened in airplanes, it's happened in coffee shops, it's happened in my subdivision where somebody will tell me, I can't stand religion. Religion's what calls wars. Religion is what calls people to look down upon one another. They just go through this litany of things that they have against religion, and I will always let them finish, and they get done, and I'll say, you know what? You're right. I'm not into religion either. They go, well, how can you be a pastor if you're not into religion? I said, because I'm into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, if you'll read it, religious people really didn't get along very well with Jesus. They didn't like him, and that blows them away. That is, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. Jesus came to have a relationship with you. We looked at it last week when we talked about God friend I mean, we looked at Matthew where Jesus says it's not the well that need a doctor, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick that need a doctor. Jesus came for people like you and me who didn't have it all together. Jesus came for people basically who are insecure and nothing will make you more insecure than sin. Nothing will make you more insecure than not having a relationship with Christ. Nothing will bring more insecurity into your life than not having peace with God. And friends, I've been a pastor for a long, long time now. Please hear me when I say this. Don't go, oop, this is good for the person behind me. Oop, this is good for the person beside me. This is good for you. Everybody in this church, including your pastor, has insecurities. And if you gave me just a few minutes... I could help you find those securities. I could insecurities. I, those of you that say, not me. I'm the most secure person you'll ever meet. I can show you because we all have those insecurities that we try to mask through our athleticism, through our dress, through our wealth, through where we live at, through what we do, through our knowledge or whatever it is. It's why people don't seek God for help or seek counselors for help when they need it. Our marriages can be tanking, but we don't want anybody to know that we've got a problem, so we won't talk about our problem because we, we're just too insecure that somebody might think there's a problem in my marriage. Our kids might be showing early signs of rebellion, but we want to have the perfect Christian home, or we want the perfect home in our community, so we don't want anybody to know. Or maybe I'm a politician, and I don't want anybody to know that there's a problem in my home or a problem in my life, so I try to cover it all up, but eventually it comes out. Or maybe Maybe, just maybe, you're in a business that's tanking this morning, but you're afraid that if your business shows us some sign of weakness or if you admit that there's a problem, that your investors will lose confidence, your, your customers will lose confidence, maybe you'll lose esteem in the community. You see, those are all the basic insecurities of life that try to make us cover up, put on our three-piece Armani suits, carry the right briefcase, live at the right address, and never admit that we have a problem. When all along, all of us, all of us need the warmth and the embrace that comes from Jesus that says, I will rejoice over you with singing. I will take good, great delight in loving you. Jesus Christ is our security. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? This should be upon the screen. Madeline Lee Engle, who I've recommended her books to you before, but in her book, Walking on Water, she says, the root word of humility is hummus, earth. And to be human, too, comes from the same word. We all come from the same place. And as Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I will go out of this world. The moment where the rich or poor, powerful or powerless die, 
They all walk through the same gates of death to meet the same God. And what makes the difference is if you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ because you've been willing to admit, Lord, I need you this morning. And you see, it's that humility. It's that warm embrace. And Ron, I know you love Jesus, but let me just come to you. It's that, it's that warm handshake. It's, that, it's that, that ability to reach out and to love someone and to hug them. It's that ability to meet them where they're at on the same level, not that we're better, not that we're more important, and not worried about what anybody else thinks, but that you matter. It's why we look people in the eyes when we talk to them. It's why we don't look away to see if there's somebody else more important to talk to in the crowd, but we look at one another. It's that humility. It's when we are willing to show our scars. It's when we're willing to, to share our failures. It's when we're willing to share the things that have broken and hurt us. Then is when the light of God's love, then is when the truth of God's word, then is when the grace of God is manifested best through us it's when we learn to walk with lost people and one another the way Jesus walked with us. Can we give him another hand of praise and thanksgiving for that? So I see Jesus extending this warmth and this friendship, this love. I see him extending this to Zacchaeus, and I got to be honest, I told you a while ago, I kind of don't like Zacchaeus. I mean, Somebody had knifed him in the crowd, we'd think, he had it coming. If somebody had knocked him off, we'd have thought, he had it coming. This guy has ruined people's lives. But all along, God has been orchestrating Zacchaeus' steps that he meets somebody that tells him about Jesus, and Zacchaeus totally loses his cool. One of the students recently talked to me about swag factor. I said, what is swag factor? Because I thought swag was the cheap stuff you picked up at the car show. When I go to the car show, there's always a, a key ring or there's a cup or there's a calendar, stuff I don't need and stuff I'm not going to carry around unless it's a good insulated mug or something like that, you know? I thought, no, Pastor Swag Factory is, and they were telling me about how you walk, how you dress, your jewelry, your clothes. I said, show me. And they go, no, because you'll tell it from the pulpit and show people how I walk. And you're darn right I would have. You know, when, when you want Jesus, you lose all your cool. You see, when you want Jesus, that's God drawing you to himself. That's God working in your life. I, I was having lunch with some guys in Brighton this week, and, and I love these guys. I, I enjoy meeting with them and talking with them, and it was typical guy talk. A lot of things I can never enter into, I listen and I laugh, but I mean, they're talking about how they crushed it playing basketball, and they showed this young kid up. They're talking about their hunting trip and how they killed this big beast and how they're having it mounted, and I mean, there is so much testosterone around that table, and we're eating meat, not tofu. We are eating meat, not salads. We are eating meat, except for me, because I'm on a Daniel fast. And they're going, what's wrong? And I go, I'm fasting, you know. But anyway, we're having this call. One of the guys gets a call, and he goes, I mean, it's just instantly, he goes, hello, hey, babe, how are you? No, no, I'm not doing anything important. Just talking to you, honey. And I'm looking at him, and I want to barf. And he's going, oh, no, no. Hey, I love you too, sweetie. He hangs up the phone. It goes right back to that deep, husky voice of his. 
You see, when you're in love, say that with me, when you're in love, there you go, good, do it again. When you're in love, you lose the swag factor. You lose the cool. You don't care about anything else but be sure that girl, your wife, they know you love them. And you see, when Jesus begins to draw you and he changes your life, you lose all your cool. You lose all your swag factor. You run to a tree and everybody thinks you are nuts because you're running to a tree. And that day, important people didn't run because if you ran, you were saying that the person or the thing you were running to was much more important than you are. That's the reason that you see basketball players walking in with their tunes in their ears and they're walking slow, nothing really. I mean, they're thinking, there's a big game out there. I've got to win. I'm going to be on ESPN. But they're trying to keep their cool. It's the reason you see football players come in. I watched Tom Brady walk in, one of the most I don't know who his haberdasher is, but he was haberdashered out that day in his coat watching in to play football. And I was like, Tom is showing some real cool today. But when you meet Jesus, all that goes out the window. You run. You don't care what anybody else thinks. You drop your briefcase and in your three-piece Armani suit, you climb a tree because you got to see Jesus. And people are thinking, he's lost his ever-loving mind. Look at Zach. He is hanging out with the pigeons now. I told you Sid was going to catch up with him. He got what he deserved. Instead, Zacchaeus is up in that tree because he wants to see Jesus. And I'm telling you that if you feel a drawing to Jesus, if there's something pulling you towards Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit of God awakening your heart because to desire Jesus is a supernatural thing. To want God more than you want to be cool, that is a supernatural deal. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? He tried. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. John Badu was the American ambassador in Cairo, and he was hosting a big party for very important people in Egypt and the Middle East, and the lights went out at the party, so... Ambassador Badu climbed up into the tree to fix the lights. The prime minister of Egypt called him in the next week because it had scandalized the entire community, and he wanted to know, did you really climb a tree to fix the lights? Badu tells him, yes. He says, I climbed that tree, and the, president excuse me, the prime minister tells him, powerful and prominent men do not climb trees, even in the privacy of their own walled gardens. You broke protocol by climbing a tree. Friends, when you meet Jesus, people may call you a fanatic, people may call you extreme, but you can call me anything you want, because Jesus Christ touched my life, changed my life, forgave my sins, healed my body, gave me everything that this world denied me. Jesus Christ means everything to me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, take, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. You see, Zacchaeus, he did whatever it took to see Jesus. But Jesus will do whatever it takes to save Zacchaeus. 
And Jesus will do whatever it takes to save you. I can't ever brag about finding Jesus. Jesus was never lost. I was lost. I can never brag about finding God. God was never lost. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. And he gave me a brand new life and a brand new name. Jesus says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Friends, I don't understand it. Jesus didn't do it the right way. Jesus didn't give an altar call. Zach didn't have to get up and confess his sins to everybody. Zach didn't have to get up and tell people how bad he had been. The only Zacchaeus did was he scrambled down that tree when Jesus said, I must come to your house. Zacchaeus welcomed him in. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, would you take that as a sign this morning that is God's Holy Spirit. You are having a supernatural encounter with God this morning. You are not being influenced by the words of this preacher, but you are being touched by the very Spirit of God himself, inviting himself into your life. He's saying, I have come. I must come. I must come into your heart and save your soul. That's what Jesus does. You say, how does he do it, pastor? I don't know. He's both big and small at the same time. He's big enough that he created this mighty universe, but he's small enough, as the song says, to live within my heart. And I'm grateful for that. Now, here's what I want you to get, and here's probably the crux of what I want to say to you this morning is I can befriend lost people without compromising my faith in God. I can befriend lost people without compromising my faith in God. Lost people aren't going to spoil me. Lost people aren't going to taint me. We are the body of Christ. And we are the salt and we are the light of this earth. We're the ones that God calls to come and to live among the people who are not believers. We're the ones that God calls to represent. Every one of us, in a sense, is an evangelist. The Scripture says clearly, do the work of an evangelist. To all of us, we're the one, and an evangelist is someone that shares the good news. Apple has what they call Apple evangelists. People that just go out and share why Apple is such a superior product over Android or Google or Microsoft. And all the Apple fans said, you are few. Well, the Bible did say that there would be few, so we are the few. And then there are Android fans. Google has hired people, and they call them evangelists. And they go out and they share why Android is the best product out there. And all the Google fans said, you're lost and just don't know it. I was reading about another company this week. They've hired evangelists because they want people to know how great their company is. But here's the crux. They've hired evangelists to go out to investors and to tell investors the good news of why they should invest in their company. You see, sometimes the world gets what the church doesn't get. We are so afraid what people will think if we share Jesus. They may think we're fanatical. Friends, if you're that afraid of what people think, you need to climb up in a sycamore tree. You need to hang out with the pigeons and you need to hear Jesus. Jesus, call your name. Because when Jesus comes into your life, it's not about being cool. It's about being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Well, praise him this morning. Now, I don't climb trees. That's not how I show people 
the love of God. But listen, Colossians 4, 6, Paul writes, live wisely among those who are not believers. Be wise. Be aware. Be prepared. Listen to where people hurt. Listen to what people are interested in. Listen to what people need. They will tell you. They don't mind telling you. I told you last week that I never introduced myself as a pastor when I'm traveling. I always tell people I'm a motivational speaker. I'm not lying. I'll, they'll ask me what I talk about, and that gives me a wide open door to talk about Jesus, and that's when we'll sometimes people bring up religion. But I have found something else. If I tell somebody I'm a pastor, one of two things happens. Either they clam up and they don't want to talk to me, or else they begin to tell me all their problems in the world, and I don't want to fly from Detroit to Atlanta for two hours listening to all their problems. You go, well, pastor, that's not very loving. Well, you try being a pastor for a few decades and see how about you like it. I mean, they just tell you stuff. Some things I think, brother, I wouldn't have told nobody that. But Jesus, sister, you need to talk to my wife, not me. Here, swap seats. Becky says, I'll kill you. Sometimes people will look at your computer. I'll be working on my iPad or something, and this has happened. People will start crying. They'll say, can I read that? And I'll read it to them or give it to them to read. And If you'll just be open to people without being religious, people will come to you just like Zacchaeus ran. You're the body of Christ. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity to order those opportunities. What they're interested in, where they hurt, what they need. How can you serve them? Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. So in Luke 19 and verse 5, Jesus, when he came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick dude, come on down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, notice that. It's not I want to come. It's not if you'd have me over. Don't you just love it when people invite themselves over and you're not expecting them? Don't you just love it when they show up and you go, hi, good to see you. And you're thinking, please don't come inside. Please don't come inside. Please don't stay for dinner. Please don't stay for dinner. Not because you're, not, you're just not prepared, you know? You're not ready. And besides that, your husband left all these dirty dishes in the sink that you asked him to wash, and he didn't wash that heathen man. I never do that. <laughs> Live wisely. I must be a guest in your home. In other words, something had compelled Jesus. The Holy Spirit was saying, I want him. And I believe, just like those old Uncle Sam posters, God is looking at every one of us in here this morning. He said, I want you. I must be your Savior and your Lord. And if you'll let me, I'll delight in you. I'll rejoice over you. I'll bathe your feet when you think you're too good to bathe mine. I will fix you breakfast when you deny my name. I will do whatever it takes to save you. I don't have a cool factor to lose. I don't have a swag factor to drop. I love you, 
That's why I died at Calvary for you. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? And maybe you came here today just to know here one thing as I wrap this up. Jesus cares more about you than he cares about your sin. Jesus loves you more than you'd ever dream. People tell me all the time, if you knew what I had done. People tell me, some says, Pastor, I've done everything you can think of. I can think of a lot. But it's always my joy to tell them what I'm telling you. Jesus cares more about you than he cares about your sin. If you've got a cure for cancer, or if you've got a cure for HIV, then suddenly the cancer or the HIV doesn't matter anymore because you've got a cure for it. If you've got a cure for paralysis, then suddenly the paralysis doesn't matter anymore because you've got a cure for it. And God has a cure for your sin and my sin. God has a cure for what paralyzes you in life. God has a cure for the cancer that grows in your soul. God has a cure for the disease that destroys all of your immunities in this life. And maybe Zach was remembering that little boy was dead. But he called me by name. I remember seeing him. Matthew, he gave up this lucrative trade. People would kill to have a place in this business. And Matthew followed Jesus. And that blind man, I would have taken his house. But Jesus healed him. Nobody likes me. Nobody can stand me. As a kid, I got elbows in the face. I was called names because I was short. I was looked over. Oh, Zach, sorry about the elbow, dude. I had a right to hate these people. I had a right to betray these people. They hurt me. They got what they wanted. I got what I wanted. But what changed Matthew? Who healed that baby? Why did he heal that blind man? You may have bitterness of the world eating you up this morning. But there's a draw in your heart that Jesus is touching you. And that's a supernatural moment that you're having right now where God wants you to know just this. It's not religion. It's not Woodland Church. But salvation is Jesus. The angel said, you shall call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. And when you've got a cure for sin, you've got a cure for everything in this world. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Got a cure. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted delighted to take Jesus home with him and everyone who saw the instant 
was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? And Zacchaeus just stood there, stunned, stammering. Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damage. And Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and to restore the lost. I need you over here to pay attention because I need to go over here. You see, what Jesus did, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, he took all the hatred of that crowd for Zacchaeus upon himself. When Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house, suddenly the people turned upon Jesus. What's he doing getting cozy with this sinner? Jesus went in to an unclean man's unclean house and spent the night on his unclean sheets, on his unclean bed, and ate his unclean food. And he took the hatred of an entire community upon himself because Zacchaeus mattered that much. Jesus delighted in Zacchaeus. And the Bible says he took our sins and our transgressions upon himself. He took the hatred of this world. He took the hatred of hell. He took all of our sins and our transgressions. That's what made him pray, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But the only way for you and I to be saved was for Jesus to take the sins of this world and take it upon himself. And when he drank it to the fullest, he looked at the one who nailed his hands into the tree who had crucified so many criminals and he says father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing father forgive them because Jesus took what you and I deserved upon himself and he changed our lives and suddenly Zacchaeus became a generous man suddenly Zacchaeus became an honest man because when you are saved all things pass away all things become new you suddenly want to love you want to give you want to share you want to be like Jesus Christ that's why I say salvation is not religion salvation is not the church salvation is none other than Jesus Christ living in our hearts today hallelujah hallelujah well, father we just bow our hearts and our heads in your presence you are a wonderful wonderful God sometimes I can't help myself, Lord. I just get a little crazy when I think about how much you love us. So I pray first of all for us as a church, Lord. God, would you forgive us of any way that we've ever lived in our communities or on our jobs or done life in this congregation that would put up a no welcome sign to lost people here. Make us bold expressors of your love. And Lord, I pray for those who right now they're just wondering, can it really be true? 
that Jesus changed my life. Maybe they're uncomfortable with their sin. My friend, if that's you, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. God, maybe they're just thinking, if I could have a Zacchaeus experience and know that God really wants me, they're afraid they can't change you can change them change us all if that's you would you just simply pray like this Jesus I'm scrambling out of my tree I'm in all my burdens my coolness my swag my sins my insecurities I'm landed at your feet Jesus come into my heart it's unclean but you can make it clean I haven't been a very holy person but you can make me a brand new man or woman I don't understand it all but as much as I do give my life to you and I thank you for forgiving me of my sins for it's in Jesus wonderful name I pray and everybody said amen and amen you know that scripture from Zephaniah chapter 3 that I shared with you this morning he'll take delight in you I think that's probably what was in Jesus' mind when he says, there's more joy in heaven when one lost person comes to know God than there are in 99. I mean, there's no way an investor would leave his 99 sheep to go get one. He'd just write that off on his taxes. But the good shepherd would. And when he finds the sheep, he rejoices. I've got that lost sheep. God takes great delight in rejoicing over you and over me. Can you say amen? Well, I hope those of you that have signed up for 101, we've got lunch for you. Give me just a few minutes to freshen up and I'll meet you in the back for lunch and we'll go through Discovering Woodland today. The rest of you, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. If you're going to watch football, text me what the score is, dear, because I unfortunately get to watch today. I love you so much. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.